Okay. Here's what I thought we could do, Nick. I thought we could have a conversation about, you know, Frankenstein AI. And we could talk okay. about, you know, what we've been learning in terms of, you know, designing for uh, a dinner party, thinking about this idea of how to, you know, what, what to weave into a design, how to prototype, uh, you know, just for the folks who are thinking about, you know, kind of getting their stuff together uh, for this challenge that we're doing. And so I wanted to just have a conversation about some of those elements. So maybe we can just start by introducing ourselves. Hello, everybody. My name is Lance Weiler. I am a storyteller and uh, founding member and director of the Columbia University School of the Arts Digital Storytelling Lab. And I'm here with Nick Fortuno. Hi, I'm Nick Fortuno. I'm a game designer and interactive narrative designer. I've worked with the Digital Storytelling Lab on a number of projects, including Frankenstein AI. And I also uh, run a company uh, called Playmatics that focuses on innovative game and story development. And uh, Nick is also a member of the Digital Storytelling Lab as well. And, and we collaborated uh, extensively on Sherlock Holmes and the Internet of Things, which provided a lot of key insights into how we're approaching Frankenstein AI. So Nick, um, I thought what we could do is just kind of have a conversation about how yourself, Rachel, and I are, are kind of, along with the team that we have, are you know, approaching this uh, immersive dinner party kind of challenge and, and what, what we've been experimenting with and what we've learned over the course of the time that we've been prototyping it. And I just thought it might be nice to um, capture some of that to share with those who are we're thinking about designing a dinner party. I mean, a big thing for us, and this is something that we always do at the, at the Digital Storytelling Lab, is we're, we're very rooted in this idea of the human experience. So a lot of the work has no technology in it for quite some time as we're trying to hone and, and figure out the best experience and then let that lead us to you know, a variety of either existing technology or solutions that we'll build ourselves. Uh, but that's usually how we start the prototyping process. And I'm just wondering, uh, Nick, if you want to if you want to elaborate on any of that, um, you know, take it a little deeper. Well, I think the most important thing about about that in this process was the idea of a dinner party, and that a dinner party, you know, like like as we're thinking about the human experience in this context, we're really thinking about like what is a dinner party, and and what makes a dinner party interesting, and what are the aesthetics of a dinner party that we can start to leverage, and so the one thing that we really want to be careful of is like we at no point during the process of building something about a dinner party want it to stop being a dinner party. Like it's not the performance, it's not a performance that resembles a dinner party. It's a dinner party as an aesthetic experience. And so it was really critical to us to look at uh, without having any real augmentation at first, other than just sort of small analog manipulations, like what kinds of things a dinner party produces and then only introduce technology once we sort of established, okay, what, what is the aesthetic of this and what are we trying to do in terms of manipulating it and how does designing it change it? And then, and only then do we say, what can technology do to help us make those changes? We started prototyping this, I guess, probably at South by Southwest well over a year ago. Um, and we ran it through our meetup groups, which we, we host the first Wednesday of every month at uh, Lincoln Center, the Film Society of Lincoln Center, you know, where we work with a, with a group of uh, collaborators. Um, and, uh, you know, a big thing for us with this is it really is a monster made by many. 
And so, you know, similar to what we did with Sherlock Holmes and the Internet of Things, it, it's a collaborative uh, project that is looking to challenge the notion of authorship and ownership of stories. But in this case, it's, it's really leaning into this idea of uh, human interaction, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, human uh, computer interaction and machine interaction and things along those lines. Um, I'm wondering, um, you know, as we, as we kind of have gone forward and, and maybe we can talk a little bit about how we were kind of simulating the AI, because in this, at this point in the process, the AI will be uh, ready and available probably starting sometime later this year. So all of this is being used as a way to really explore, uh, you know, how humans, you know, interact with machines and what that looks like in terms of conversational models and behaviors. Um, and so, Nick, I'm wondering, um, maybe we can kind of take a, a little bit of a dive on this notion of how we were prototyping or simulating the AI, you know, back in um, as recently as our August prototypes. Yeah, so, I, I, so basically the, the real question of the AI here effectively was, you know, how, you know, we're trying to build a structured conversation in which the AI can be a component. And what we realized pretty early or, or some of our aesthetic assumptions were that, you know, dinner parties actually work. So we don't want to mess with them too much, but we want the AI to shape them. And we want it to feel like the AI is there, but we don't want the AI to take over the conversation because that's like a really easy outcome that can happen in our opinion, that the AI could just like become so essential to the conversation in a certain way that everyone would just depend on it. And that is problematic. So what we did was try to think of how to differ this project from the previous Frankenstein AI project where the AI was represented in a really dramatic way and instead have the AI be kind of a subtle presence in the experience. And that led to the idea that the AI would just be speaking to the participants without having a presence. And so the first thing we wanted to test is like, well, what, how could the AI be present in a way that's shaping the conversation that doesn't get in the way of the conversation. And so we basically created um, index cards with prompts on them. And we used a bunch of different techniques to give those prompts to people at a conversation. So we would sit a bunch of people down at a table and we would have, we'd always have like four or five tables at least going at once when we did this. We'd give them some kind of frame to start them talking. And then periodically we would hand an index card to someone or read an index card aloud to someone or show them an index card and then take it away. And we tried a bunch of different techniques to sort of deliver a prompt to them. And a prompt might be, a question or a, a piece of information or a, or a prod for them to do something in the conversation or say something. And we just tested a bunch of varieties of that. And what we were primarily, look, primarily looking at as we tested it were a couple of things. One, what did the prompt do to the conversation? Did it stop it? Did it change it? Did it get, info, did it get introduced into the conversation? Two, how did the user react to getting it? Like, what did the user do? Did the user talk about the prompt? Did the user ignore the prompt? Because that's a viable possibility. Did the user um, uh, manipulate the prompt somehow? Um, and then, like, did the conversation itself, as a result of this, or indirectly, ever kind of go through phases that we were either wanting to encourage or discourage? So, like, did the conversation become alive at certain points? Did it become vulnerable at certain points? Did it die at certain points? And we manipulated sort of how we gave prompts um, to see and what kinds of prompts we gave to see which ones would facilitate the conversation and bring it to an interesting vulnerable place rather than 
either um, close it down or make it very meta, which we found would happen in failed tests. Like, like people would just start talking about like how they were getting index cards or like what, what the, you know, why, the, what the AI was. And we found that that was, that was often less interesting conversation than if they, if they took what the AI said and ran with it. Well, and I think what's interesting too is there, there was a tendency initially when we were starting to want to uh, kind of control the conversation, right? And, 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 and it was, you felt that tension in the piece, right? It was like already when AI comes to the table, there's a lot of excitement about it and there's a lot of preconceived notions of what an AI is and the way that we view artificial intelligence, much of which has been kind of dictated by dystopian narratives that um, are pervasive from Hollywood. And so when we were doing initial tests and running them, you know, when we, when we ran that test at, at Rachel's place in, in Brooklyn, and, and then when we subsequently ran tests at Lincoln Center, um, and most recently at the New York Film Festival um, last weekend, uh, we found that the more natural we could be with the prompts, the better. Meaning that you might, uh, there's two kinds of prompts that we've been experimenting with. And a lot of this is kind of detailed in the plug and play uh, template for uh, a dinner party, which we provide, which you can find on Medium and is linked to within the uh, prototyping community itself is this notion of group prompts, you know, where the AI talks to everybody at the table and then uh, individual prompts where the AI picks and chooses who it's going to talk to at the table. And sometimes that's dictated by, you know, maybe somebody who hasn't spoken yet. Maybe it's somebody who, uh, you know, had said something that was interesting earlier in the conversation. Maybe it is a, is a moment where uh, that individual prompt is given as a whisper, and that whisper says that the person is free to interject, you know, whatever the prompt is into the conversation at a point that they feel it fits the most. So because when we did early versions, to your point, Nick, what, what we found was that as soon as we gave either an index card or even when we whispered uh, a prompt to somebody in the room or at the table, everything would kind of stop. And then people would deliver it and say, oh, the AI just told me to do this. So what we started to look at was like, how could that be more naturalistic? How could, be that, how could that be something where each of the, the humans at the table were almost kind of by proxy helping the AI to integrate uh, itself into the, into the flow of the conversation? And as we started to do that more, it started to become very dynamic. And when it was really flowing, there were times where I think uh, participants forgot entirely about the AI and then it would come back. And, and so there's a tension where, of course, it's going to be, there's going to be a level of, uh, you know, of it feeling artificial because it's a machine that's interacting with a dinner party, you know, so that by default, I think that that's pretty artificial. But I think the, the thing that's been really interesting about it is how in multiple test scenarios, people have felt like it led to a deeper conversation than they expected. And in, in having uh, that opportunity that they can kind of pick and choose when they interject what's come from the AI, I think that that's a part of it. And then the more creative that we have been around how those prompts are delivered and the more agency that they give to the participants at the table, the results have been pretty interesting. So I'd say when, when people are thinking about 
the prompts and the way that they're going to interject them, I think it makes a lot of sense to to consider, you know, how can they grant agency to the people who are at the table? Yeah, we, I mean, we, this, this was, yeah, I really want to point out here that this was the result of testing, right? Like we did not know this walking in. We explored a lot of different kinds of prompts and then just found that that was true and that certain kind of prompts like actually created the conditions for that in ways that were better than other prompts did. And that was, I mean, there was just insight in that that was just very fascinating to me that like, Oh, certain kinds of conversation uh, led to um, led to that experience in a way that like other kinds of things didn't. And that was largely prompt driven. Um, and the other thing that was very interesting was that we could, as a result of that, explore just sort of like, okay, well, when people do take ownership of this, how does it move? And that led to like a bunch of interesting findings. Like one, I think that was fascinating was that you know people. Um, the conversations are very elastic and people are capable of like coming back to things over time in a way that you wouldn't expect. So people did hold prompts and just like wait until there was a moment when they get, when they got the right frame, they just wait till they could introduce it and then they would do it. So that like, like throwing things into the mix didn't break it. It wasn't as fragile as I was worried it would be. But on the other hand, um, it was very easy to over prompt them. And when you did that, it actually was very it, 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 you could see the results of it very clearly, like how bad that was that you did that because like you would feel the energy of the room just collapse uh, in certain ways. And that, that was just like, like you, it was something that we learned that we really had to avoid. Well, I think that the part that uh, I think is interesting is this piece really, uh, or at least in this incarnation, because, you know, Frankenstein AI, a monster made by many, is a series of experiments. You know, what we did at Sundance was a three-act structure of an immersive theater piece that involved AI and, you know, and a level of participation, uh, you know, or, or sharing conversations between, you know, uh, those who went through it. Uh, now we find ourselves with a different form, a form which is a dinner party. And, and I'm struck by the, the power of not only you know, the project allowing for these different types of experiments, which are very in line with the, the, the novel by Shelley, right? The, the novel's really about experimentation and there's a number of core themes that are at work there. As we, as we go forward and experiment with this notion of a form of a dinner party and we prepare for what we're doing at IDFA and we prepare uh, the, the dinner parties that we're working on, uh, I think, um, it's been really interesting to, to, to recognize that the core of this is really about conversational design, which is fascinating because initially you find yourself trying to over control it, you know, or you're putting in too many prompts, you know, as you just said, Nick, or, you know, uh, you know, the other side of it is like, well, why do you need to design anything? A good dinner party is food and the right people and the conversation just happens. But what we're really kind of doing is almost like a Jeffersonian dinner that's, uh, you know, uh, moderated or facilitated by a machine in, in a certain respect. And even though it's kind of like uh, somebody had a great analogy for it, I can't remember who it was, but they said the AI was like a, a child that was, 
you know, like running in and out of a dinner party or is like kind of this muse or is like a uh, spirit, you know, it's dropping into somebody's ear and saying something to one person or maybe two, or it's saying something to the whole group. And I think when you kind of unpack that and think about it from the standpoint of a conversation, the best conversations are, they kind of, they're elastic. They're kind of jumping all over the place. And they might come back to something like 20 minutes later. They might drop threads and then they're, re, they're picked up. Or it might be really difficult to even see what the transitional element was between two subjects. Uh, but it makes sense in the moment at the time. And so I think the thing that makes uh, this kind of dinner party challenge fascinating is the idea that we are doing conversational design with it and that we are really experimenting with like that human machine interaction, um, which I, I find to be incredibly challenging. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a really interesting design process that led to like, 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 I, I, well, a lot of this is um, not so surprising to me because subtle, like minimal design is a lot of what's been going on with Sherlock and Frankenstein and a lot of the work that involves like getting a bunch of people to talk to each other, like the nuances of the prompts and the nuances of the instructions and exactly what, how you stage direct people in terms of entering rooms and sitting next to each other, all, but all those things like have very subtle um, effects uh, on the surface, but really do shape these experiences. And so I think that's been what's hard about this piece is like trying to figure out like what the rhythms of these conversations are without breaking them. And that, that has been like just fascinating to see. And, and I think it just takes a lot of experimentation because I don't think we often pay a lot of attention to how conversations work when they work well. And we rely on the strong ties we have in the world to make sure conversations work well because we tend to have better conversations with people we know well. So facilitating a conversation between strangers, really there is a structural element to that of like manipulating it and trying to figure it out, but it is, it has to breathe. Um, and the reason why, I mean, and I, I, you know, it starts to sound really kind of fuzzy and spiritual, like, oh, conversations have energy and you don't want to fuck with them. But like, um, I think the really important thing about this is recognizing that there is an interactive pattern when someone prompts you that it has, has, a, has grooves in it that you're going to fall into, which is like waiting for instructions. And this is a mode that human beings are in a lot right? Like when you are listening to a boss or a client or you are in a classroom or you are in a room with an expert like a doctor, you very much fall into a pattern of waiting for that person to give you permission to speak or responding to what that person says. And that actually isn't a conversation the way a dinner party is a conversation. So it's, it's actually a design thing you have to think through of like, what are what kinds of prompts don't lead me to wait for the AI to talk to do something? How do I feel empowered to talk while the AI is talking to me is like actually a really tricky design question to answer. And it just took, it takes a lot of iteration to figure that out. And so I think anybody who's thinking about like this kind of conversational design, just, you know, a, a really important part of that is like how light touch you can be. And I think ideally you want to be as light touch as possible in terms of your intrusion into the conversation. But you, as you said, like if all that happens is a conversation happens in front of you, then you really didn't make any art because you didn't reliably create a conversation that was valuable. And if it's a conversation between strangers, there's just a lot of failure conditions that can happen in terms of people being shy or people being closed or people dominating conversations that can, you know, like really throw off the energy of group. And, and I just would like, I'd suggest that like, 
I think a lot of the work that we've done together has been exploring how to avoid those specific pitfalls of like heavily introverted people or shy people or domineering people or small groups that can dominate larger groups. Like a lot of the design work in these pieces is tailored to try to fix those problems. And we do it by experimenting with how we let people communicate and what we tell people to do. Well, and I think as, as we go forward with this, um, it's a multi-year design research project, as I mentioned, and our goal with all the projects that we do in terms of our prototypes in particular, Sherlock Holmes and the Internet of Things, you know, Frankenstein AI, they're creative commons projects. And our goal is to uh, share what we learn as we do them and uh, to put them out into the world so others can remix them and share them as well. And so as we go forward, we'll, we'll be dropping in and, and uh, weaving in other collaborators. You know, uh, one, of the, one of our main collaborators who's not on this call today is Rachel Ginsburg. Uh, we'll be talking with her, talking with others from the team as we try to pull back the curtain on what it is to, you know, build, uh, you know, an immersive dinner party, uh, but also the larger ideas that are behind uh, this project and, and its goals um, and uh, what I love about it so much is that it is very iterative. You know, our goal is to um, play with the form of dinner parties for uh, quite some time, you know, just to experiment with them. Uh, you know, and so we just kicked off kind of the first wave of that with these initial, this initial challenge. We're going to be working with it all, you know, throughout 2019 as well. As we have uh, more, we'll come back and share it with the group. Uh, but we look forward to hearing what everybody's cooking up, you know, pun intended. And, uh, you know, we're, we're excited to, uh, to collaborate with everyone. So uh, thanks so much.